0: and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hobcast Book Show from Hobet Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello, Hello and welcome to the Hobcast, episode number 141. My name is Adrian Hobart.
1: My name is Rebecca Collins.
0: And together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres.
1: Mysteries. Crime. Suspense.
0: And thrillers. Welcome to the show. And our guest this week is the wonderful Kate Wiseman. Who yes. is an author with Zuntold, so you remember last week that we spoke to... Elaine Bousfield of Zontolt Publishing, based in Manchester. Now we're talking to one of their authors about her sort of varied career writing uh, mostly middle grade or young adult fiction. Mm. But um it's um, you know, been quite a quite a variety of topics and, and and styles that she's employed.
1: Yeah, I think she just writes what she wants to write and it happens to be in whatever genre that exists already. But she's given me a new hobby. I haven't yet to pursue it, but we talk about this new hobby in the podcast, so I won't say any more than that. But I can't wait for you to take me somewhere muddy. Okay. Now there, uh, go figure what that and tidal could be. <laughs> muddy and
0: tidal. Those are the two things, right? Let's get into the news, and we're gonna we're gonna crack on with this show this this week. I think because you know it has been said that sometimes our shows creep on a little bit big and longer than perhaps they might be. Yeah. Well, you know, there's one, you know. It's, it, that's one of the things that people would might say okay well in the news um and now we have entered how many quite a few of our books into this the kindle storyteller
1: yeah, prize I can't, I can't tell you exactly how many as many as we eligible
0: and you're working for rich McLean, who has won it in the past which gave her career a, a mega boost it
1: did yeah so i thought why not give it a go nothing well, to lose
0: Nothing to lose, and you can imagine... That, A lot
1: to gain. <laughs>
0: just just to put it in context, so this is an award uh, from Kindle, uh, Amazon, in, in effect. It's the top prize, or the winner gets £20,000. And to enter, you simply put in the uh, keyword, Kindle Storyteller 2023 in this case, in the keyword section of the dashboard and you get seven keywords. So you're using up one of your six, one of your seven keywords and leaving you with six relevant to the book. Yeah. And of course the judges and the, the whole process means that that means that there are thousands of entries. Uh, sadly, none of the Hobeck ones were nominated this year. No. So the shortlist is as follows. Well, uh, let me just quickly flip through. The shortlist can spotlights fiction across crime, thriller, romance, sci-fi and humour. And uh, the judging panel included Sue Perkins, the TV presenter and comedian, uh, alongside broadcaster, writer and member of the House of Lords, our very own favourite Baroness Fluella Benjamin.
1: Oh, Fluella Benjamin.
0: Former Chancellor of the university that we went to, Exeter.
1: Former play school presenter.
0: Yeah, you actually, do you remember we we looked at the bust of Fluella Benjamin? That that, that is sort of.
1: <laughs> it's a very funny looking object. It's isn't a it? bronze
0: bust, which um, is near the Queen's Building at Exeter University. It's
1: almost too realistic.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've met her in that context, and she is
1: what as a bronze statue. No,
0: <laughs> but she's uh, she's quite something uh, to meet. Okay, the shortlist comprises My Brother's Keeper by M.L. Rose, Greek Secret by Francesca Catlow, and Forsaken Commander by G.J. Ogden. Also, A Midlife Gamble by Carrie J. Hansen, and Sounds Silent Hobbit. Ruin by David J. Gatwood. David J. Gatwood is sort of one of the, the legends of the independent publishing
1: scene. Really? I don't scene. know. Yeah,
0: yeah, David Gatwood, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, very well known. And Darren Hardy, author and editorial programs manager at Amazon UK, is also on the judging panel. He said, whittling down the thousands of Kindle Storyteller Award entries to just five books gets more difficult every year. It's fantastic to see the unstoppable creativity and talent of self-published authors yet again as we enter our seventh year of the award. And I'm proud to see so many people launch and build their literary careers with Kindle Direct Publishing. Well, of course, you would say that. And the winner will be announced in
1: November. Well, good luck to everyone who's on the shortlist. Yeah,
0: absolutely, no, it's a great, um, great Philip and uh, a Philip. Yes.
1: What's a Philip? except a person.
0: A Philip is F-I-L-L-I-P, which is to say that it is a boost or a, a lift. A Philip. Yes.
1: Oh, so can you say, say, for example, um, having pickled cabbage for lunch is a Philip?
0: Uh, for the stomach, possibly, yes. <laughs> Uh, yes, yes, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's I stretching that the door. No, no, well, there you go. I mean, you know, this is what the program's all about, is <laughs> is educating you, my love, and indeed myself, and anyone who's listening, hopefully it's erudite. But the interview itself, what we do today, is is one of the friskier ones, so we're, we're off topic a fair <laughs> bit, um, that has to be said. And this uh, next story comes from uh, Publishing Weekly, which is the American uh, publication, a new author income study released by Authors Guild by the Authors Guild provides a dizzying array of numbers and breakdowns about how all types of authors, traditionally published and self-published, full-time and part-time, fared financially in 2022. And it, the main takeaway, they say, is that most authors have a hard time earning a living from their craft. <laughs> the survey, which drew responses from 5,699 published authors, that's a lot, that's a lot of. That's a big survey. I mean, you know, normally it's like a sample of a hundred or something. If you look at the adverts, ninety-eight uh, percent of uh, you know respondents were only a hundred people. Um, found that in twenty twenty-two, the median gross pre-tax income from their books was just two thousand dollars. When combined with other writing-related income, the total annual median income was five thousand dollars the median book-related income for survey respondents in 2022 was up 9% from 2018, adjusted for inflation, with all the increase coming from full-time authors, whose income was up 20%, compared to a 4% decline for part-time authors. Woozers.
1: But does that include people who might have sold five books in a year? Because there's going to be lots of people who've put books upon on KDP, um, not been able to do any advertising, or not really needed to because they just Make, writing a book for their family. So. Oh, yeah.
0: But, I mean, you know, if you're actually going to be a member of this organisation, the Authors Guild, that's going to okay. probably...
1: That's exclude will... some of those.
0: Yeah, I would say so. So I think these are people who would would say that, you know, in their bio they... on, on Twitter would be possibly another job, well, almost certainly with these sort of figures, and writer.
1: Okay, that depresses me, because I was hoping it would include <laughs> all the people who just published a book for their friends and family but no okay that is quite concerning
0: (laughs) yeah to say the least and uh, you know uh, let's be honest I mean we're we're not producing the figures at times that you know would would change the dynamic for for many of our authors either Um, and indeed for ourselves no you know so this is part of it and and you spot you spotted a blog that you, that you sent me yesterday yeah
1: so uh, this was posted by uh, donna morfitt and i know some a couple of our authors know um th- this lady so she's called louise Water- Walter waters waters sorry and uh, she had a, a it's very similar to us she set up her own small indie publisher she's a writer herself and an editor
0: yeah louise walters books
1: yes louise Walter's books and um she went for seven
0: six years she said in so, 2017 t- exactly
1: yeah. 2017 um and, and really sadly had to um close it i think was it earlier this year i'm not sure but a few months ago anyway you know um and she wrote a very very heartfelt blog post and i saw it last night and it's it's really well written as well really considered and um so it's not just sort of an outpouring of emotion it's it's actually very well thought through and but very raw and honest as well and it struck a big chord with me because she the one bit of her blog post that struck me was when she said for 6 years i worked every day and at the sacrifice of the people around me because she was working freelance to fund, support, support the book, yeah, the book, um, the company, company and living yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought, she's describing my life at the moment. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's a stark reality that in order to... Uh, uh, I know we try not to be too down on this podcast, but we want to be honest. We work very hard to keep going. Mm. And she did as well. And she did try very, very hard. I mean, another bit that struck me... Well, was, can, I, can
0: I quote something? And then maybe that will sum up what she says. Yeah, okay. The awful thing is that I worked and worked and worked and nothing happened. Hard work does not achieve anything in publishing. That is another myth in the industry, along with publishing being a profession at all. Mostly it's a well-off person's playground, gambling other people's money. And it's well-off people scratching the backs of other well-off people. My little press didn't stand a chance, but it was real. It had heart, soul... Passion and energy.
1: Yeah, it's hard to say anything after that, isn't it? I mean, that that's that's it's very sad because she's basically saying, "I gave up. I worked really hard, and it wasn't because I didn't work hard. I worked very hard, but I gave up."
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it was impossible. Yeah, and it's similar to what Sean was saying from Red Dog Press in his closing sort of statement to the bookseller about why Red Dog was closing, is that, you know, simply the trading conditions are so difficult. Right, okay, let's get into our interview with Kate Wiseman. Kate uh, lives in Chichester. Uh, She was born in Oxford, and um, she came to to writing quite late because she went to university quite late at the age of 38.
1: She absolutely loved it, didn't she? And she hasn't looked back since. No. She's um, a very happy lady, I think.
0: And it gave her the, the confidence getting that degree to start writing. And she writes – well, you've mentioned it. She she has a new series, which is published by Zuntold, about mudlarking, which was a way of life, in fact, a, a living for some very hardy souls in Victorian London, mm-hmm. going on the foreshore of the Thames while the, the tide went out, revealing fall, you know, forgotten objects – and ways of making money, so it might be bits of old rope, it might be bits of jewellery that have gone down the sewers, it might be fat floating on the water, discarded by ship's cooks over the side. Which, which amazingly
1: can... gets used. Yeah, yeah and
0: can... they would scrap a living, you know, and, and but by putting their lives at risk. And if they were caught by the police and picked up, they would be thrown overboard back into the river. Oh, lovely. Yeah, they weren't treated terribly well. But it is a fascinating subject, and it's not the only thing she's written about. She's also written uh, some middle-grade fiction, uh, a series called Gangster School, which has done pretty well over the years. And um, it it was great fun to speak to Kate Wiseman. Well, it's a great pleasure to speak to Kate Wiseman here on the Hopcast Book Show. Welcome.
2: Hello. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Tell us about your progress towards becoming an author, because it's it's slightly unorthodox in that you went to university quite a lot later than than most would anticipate, at the age of 38.
2: I did, yes. I was a late developer. My background was very working class, and I know I don't sound very working class anymore, but I, I don't quite, quite know how that happened. But I am. I'm very working class. It just really wasn't an option. It, it was put to me while I was at school that I could go to university, and I didn't have a lot of confidence or I I just couldn't imagine it. So I didn't go. And then um, as I got older, I don't know, you kind of when you have kids and things, you kind of forget your ambitions and and you become mum and you forget. That sounds a bit sad, but I kind of forgot I had a brain for a while. And then I remembered that I had a brain and that I wanted to go to university. So I went to an access course at the local college of FE. It it was amazing. It was wonderful just to be sitting there, to be learning, to be discussing things, to be writing and to get good feedback on essays and stuff Um, made me realize that, I don't know, that I I had a, a good brain so the college of fe if you finish the access course you got a sort of i don't think they do this anymore which is a great shame but you got an automatic entree to the local university which is in Chichester so i studied english and creative writing um I started at the age of 38 and i absolutely loved it those some of the best three years of my life not for the normal reasons of you know partying and yay um, <laughs> But to be learning and to be sitting there and to be, I, I don't know what it was. I, I, I adored it. And I got a first. So
1: Congratulations. I, thank you.
2: Yeah, I, I talked about nothing else about a year after. My family got really fed up with me. Said, <laughs> first class, honors degree, you know. And they used to chuck me in the river. And then I did a master's um, in English literature. And all that time, you know, since forever, I've been a reader, completely immersed in books. And I always wanted to write my own books, but I didn't have the confidence. And I think until I would got my degree, that was what I needed to give me the confidence to write. So I had a bash and I was very fortunate in that the first thing I wrote, which was a complete mess, Got shortlisted for a national competition and it didn't win, but that got me an agent and it sort of went on from there. Oh, the other thing I forgot to mention was the other thing, the other catalyst to starting writing was my son going to university and I was kind of drifting around the house like a morning waif. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling.
2: It's is sad, isn't it?
1: Yeah. It's it's funny, isn't it? I mean my eldest has now just started his second year, but this time last year, it was almost like he died or something. I was grieving his absence. Yes, yeah. It's so hard. Yeah, it really you is. It, like, don't you? I think you thought it was a bit strange. No, but you? I mean having... tears. Well,
0: no, I'm oh. not taking it straight because my second my uh, younger son has just started at Cardiff. Mm-hmm. And I am feeling bereft. I mean, he's failing me quite a lot most days because I think, you know, although he's made a very good start socially,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, the course hasn't started yet. He hasn't got any shape on his life yet. And the other thing is he went a week too early. He got his dates mixed up. So we arrived a week, <laughs> <laughs> a week early. So he's had an extra week and um, he's been hanging out with he's the second or third years in Cardiff. Yeah. And, and so I am feeling that thing because he's not now an hour's drive away. He's, three hours drive away and it's just yeah. that yeah i feel a certain loss really i,
1: I miss making the bacon butties i think because <laughs> <my laughs> normally i get back from the school run because he had me at school We, you know he's in the holidays he's just been here and the first thing i do is oh i think i've got to make him a bacon butty and
2: <laughs> it's an act of love isn't it mm. very much so yeah, yeah I, I missed i didn't know i just missed everything about my son harry so i thought i needed to divert my my grieving mind and uh, so you wrote and so how
0: how quickly was did that become an a, a sort of an escape for you was it a uh, matter of days or weeks or
2: days really and it still is and when i can't write for various reasons i also um tutor and do various jobs because contrary to what many people believe writing is not a, a richly paid occupation unless you're one of the you know one of the top hundred or so writers um, but when I can't write because of other commitments I, I, I don't like it I get kind of fidgety and a bit morose And
1: mm. I know so yeah when real life as in paid work gets in the
2: way <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I've got to write I've got to write and I have so many ideas and well sometimes I write them down and sometimes I think that's such a great idea I'll never forget that and the next day it's
1: yeah gone. <laughs> mm. you have
0: worked across a number of different genres really I suppose and one that really catches my eye is your tales about mudlarking which is has always fascinated me because I remember Blue Peter used to
1: mudlarking oh well let's
0: explain okay well there you go that's a very good question for Kate what first of all
2: mudlarking <laughs> Mudlarking is um, searching the the shore, the foreshore, especially of the Thames in London, um, when the tide is out for things of historical interest. Some people find amazing things. I know someone who found a Victoria Cross. Um, Some people find jewellery and guns and all kinds of weird things. I tend to find quite prosaic things. But to me, they are an amazing touch. It's it's touching the past. Yeah. So for, for instance, I found um, a, a section of a Roman mosaic floor mm-hmm. uh, just washed up on the, on the foreshore in Wapping. And the thought that, and it's been verified as Roman and it's recorded, it's on the portable antiquities scheme, which is what you're meant to do with anything you find that yeah. is potentially, of any interest. Um, But the thought that, you know, I'm I'm the first person to touch those since Roman feet touched them nearly 2,000 years ago. They're 2nd century AD, apparently. It's just astonishing. And the way that they're just very plain, um, white marble tesserae, you know, little squares. And they're not very well put in. You know, they're not all beautifully... What's the word for it? You know, aligned. Mm. And I, I look at that and I think, why aren't they aligned? And I think well, maybe I had a bad back. You no, know, maybe the maybe <laughs> it was the end of the day and it had enough, or maybe he was dreaming about what he was going to go home and eat that evening. And it's, it's a connection with the past.
1: Now this is interesting to me, and I, I think I've told you this before as well. So I, I actually did a fine art degree as an adult. Oh. Wow. Um, And my sort of specialty was objects and our connection, our emotional connection with objects, and in history as well. So the connection Mm -hmm. you might you might have with an object you own, but the connection that object also has with someone from the past. So this, I need to go mudlarking now. I really want to get. I've given
0: you love, dabbling in the water, and you know, on the foreshore.
1: I want to find these things, these sort of loved once but lost objects
2: there is so much there and i'm going to say two things one of which will make you want to go immediately and the other thing will make you will make you go humph <laughs> and the thing that may, will make you want to go immediately is um just just the range of objects you find and you know, i was mudlarking last week and i found um a a lead a toy lead monkey in a fez oh and all the paint's gone, um, you know, and it's, can I say, knackered? I don't yes. Know. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Somebody, somebody lost it. And yeah,
2: yeah 100 years ago, some, some child and coins, yeah. amazingly old coins, um, just the range, and pottery. And I've got bits of pots where you can, where the potter, I've got um, a medieval bit, and he stuck his thumb around the clay to sort of make you know that pie crust Mm. yeah yeah you see his fingerprints so I've got the fingerprints amazing and it's just astonishing so that is making you think oh my god I've got to get to the foreshore it is amazing it's an amazing hobby and it has led me to write um a series called the mudlark mysteries which Zuntop has begun to publish um and this is I'll show you I know no one can see it this is the first one it's called the grinning throat yeah Um, the grinning throat after a gang of kind of cutthroat anarchists who are part of the story mm. um, they are what can i say about them they're i think they're exciting i love the characters um they're a, quite a good way i think of, of sort of learning a bit about victorian london without realizing you're le- you're learning it uh that's the feedback i've got and they're, they're a little bit dark, hence the title. The second one's called the Hampstead Terror. Um, oh, let me tell you about the Hampstead Terror. Okay. So, in, in Victorian times, um, many people believed that in the sewers below Hampstead there were a tribe, a tribe, a herd of man-eating feral pigs living oh. in, <laughs> in the sewers, and so they're they're a part of. The story of the second one. That's why it's called the Hampstead Terror. Um, there you go. Mustn't say. Ex-
1: <laughs> so they, people believe that that was they they really lived there. These man-eating
2: yeah. pigs. Yeah, and there, there was a bloke called Henry Mayhew who wrote uh, quite an inf- influential book called London Labour and the London Poor in about mm-hmm. 1860, 1850. and he actually records in there. Um, the swine, the the devilish swine beneath Hampstead. But, and here's the link to mudlarking, there are also mudlarks who specialised in um, mudlarking in sewers. Um, Yeah, (laughs) look at your faces. I'm not sure I'd go for that element of it. (laughs) It it. They were kind of the creme de la creme of mudlarks in a way because they had the potential to earn huge amounts of money. I think Mayhew in this book, someone told him that in a year that they were called Toshers, hence the phrase, a load of Tosh. They they gleaned from sort of jewelry and things and, and coins that people had lost and they'd been washed down into the sewers. It sounded like three million pounds worth in, in today's money. It's yeah. 1, 000, of, of, of lost things. But it was dangerous and it was a job for adults, really. And mm. don't do it alone because the rats and the the hidden pockets and the foul air could overcome you.
0: But I mean, your other work—I mean, you're working principally in that sort of uh, young adult and middle grade area—and mm. um, your gangster school books mm. are uh, terrific. Um,
1: Thank you.
0: I, well, no, I mean, I, I remember you were you were held up as an example of of how to write middle grade to us when i joined the thing called the golden egg academy which it's me yeah who who you know yeah. are basically trying to uh mentor people into children's writing yeah. and uh, so that was a you know so i was recommended to to read um gangster school um uh because i was writing something not set in a school but for yeah. that sort of age group um what what sort of challenges does that present because i found when i was writing trying to write a middle grade caper mm. um the feedback i got back from and i maybe it wasn't the right sort of people to put in front of but i was putting it in front of teachers primary school teachers that i knew and, mm. so, and they were saying well, the language is too too complex and yeah they're struggle
2: yeah um with gangster school especially and that that was the first thing i wrote because i'd oh. always worked in schools and um because my son used to tell people when he was little that he would want to be a, a a criminal mastermind when he grew up, yeah. um, just to see their faces really, and that made me think about how the, such a school would would function really, and also how to write it without imparting. If you don't read it, you think, well, my can't, my child can't read that. You know, it's going to tell them that picking mm. or I don't know kidnapping or something, and it doesn't. It's just sort of it's it's very light-hearted and the, i've forgotten your question <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I, I, yeah it's, I'm, it's focusing in on on the, on the sort of language that appeals oh, yes. to middle grade because yeah i i really struggle to get that tone right
2: the level um, of the
1: language.
2: yeah i i did the same and i think i've certainly got similar feedback um for all gangster school um as a someone who's worked with kids and, and English for years, I'm not at all averse to presenting them with words that they don't know. You don't want a whole book of that's incomprehensible. But, you know, that's what dictionaries are for, or online dictionaries these days, mm. and In their vocabulary. And not just that context.
1: Because I, I, can, I can remember as growing up and reading books that were more... Um, more adult than what I should have been reading but you Mm. could work out through context what a word might mean and that's another way of sort of expanding your vocabulary so you you know you sort of infer what a word means and you see it again and you remember who you infer from that time and it makes sense in your head so yeah yeah, I I agree I think you know you're you're pushing their um comfort zone I guess a little bit Yeah. yeah
2: and and I guess the 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 key is to make that worth their while so to make it entertaining enough that they don't think oh I don't know what that word is I'm going to give up
1: Mm. um
2: which I I try to do um but yeah I think your point about context is, is very very true and it's a great skill you know when they do their GCSE English there can be words that which I tutor in um words they haven't come across and if you can look at its context and and have a stab at its meaning it's a, it's a great skill. It's very, oh. very useful. Never be afraid to have a guess. Absolutely.
0: But do you think that current education in terms of the way that, you know, the, the middle grade readers are going to be sitting there sats and the sort of things that they're encouraged to stuff their work with to uh, tick off the, the various boxes that are demanded of them? Is that is that killing their exploration of the language in 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 a way? Because that, that's how it feels to me. I don't know.
2: I think so. I, I think um, the the way English is taught in schools really needs a lot of rethinking. Um, literature as well as language. You know, an example. I used to work in a school where one of the um, O not O level. I'm showing my age. GCSE texts was Great Expectations, and the classes that I sat in used to read, I don't know, the first two or three chapters and watch a film. Um, And then they had to write an essay on it. Um, uh, It's it's ridiculous. It's just, uh, I I don't know. I don't really know what I'm trying to say here, apart from that's not teaching literature. And that isn't going to instill a love of reading in someone. Might yeah. instill the love of watching film, but and I don't think that showing film doesn't have a part in, in studying literature. But for heaven's sake, at least try and read the whole thing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, because it, it's interesting to study them in comparison
2: yes. the book and the film and yeah. to
1: make. Um, I could have a, di- have a debate about the comparison and whether the film reflects the book and all that sort of thing. But I agree. Just shoving them in front of the film and saying, well, there you go. You know great expectations now. You know it's,
2: what happens right it's now. So it's mad And um, um, Romeo and Juliet as well. A lot of um, schools that I've seen show the Baz Luhrmann um, adaptation, which is wonderful. Until you've got your essay that says um, when Romeo shoots Tybalt, and during the gun battle, um you know, that some kids cannot, you know, that's their knowledge of it, the mm. film. So that they, they can't hope, they can't, got no hope of writing a decent essay on it if that's all that they, all their, all their, their only experience.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, I was always a bit slack with my English literature <laughs> and least... used to watch the films.
2: Well, but <laughs> you I love that. But,
1: um, <laughs> I, I, cause I remember i remember one of my big memories is we got to kill a mockingbird mm. and, and i remember the teacher saying try and read it over the weekend and most of us were thinking mm. but i actually i just i just raced through in on the saturday mm. I it. and I, I remember that was sort of like a trigger for me thinking oh my god books are brilliant <laughs>
0: well the, the issue i had was was for me um and a uh, One of our previous guests pointed this out, that if you're left eye dominant when you're reading, then you're going to read word by word as opposed to being able to scan across and read that way. And so what the sort of our reading homeworks were always pitched at the people who could do the cover, the 80 pages that was required in an evening. And I couldn't get there. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. It would take far too long. It'd take hours, and this is part of the problem I've got when I'm reading submissions. You know, yes, it takes me. And,
1: and there's one that you've been sat on for a
0: while. Oh, shut up! <laughs> yes. um, yeah, but it, that that is an issue. Um, and the other thing was that the, the we would sit in class, and this was even at A level, and then it would be divvied up to somebody to read from the book, mm. and if you got somebody who couldn't do it very well. No one got any benefit from it because uh, it was stumbly, it was monotone. I used to despair because I used to love doing that. I mean, you know, I'm a narrator now, so you can see there was a seed there, but it, you know, I used to go, Oh, God, this is such wonderful stuff, and you're just killing it, killing yeah. it dead. <laughs> what was the benefit of that?
2: No, actually, I do agree with that, especially with things like Shakespeare. Mm. Uh, it's hard enough for to, just to read it, but to read it aloud and to try and make sense of it. If you're a, you know, you're new to it, even if you're not new to it, it's um, it's very easily killed.
0: <laughs> it really is. Anyway, we, we can get digress on that. But um, what what sort of um feedback do you get from those books in terms of the the, you know, it, it must appeal to um, I think they certainly my experience of them is that they would appeal to those reluctant readers to some extent because of the adventure that you've given people and the fun.
2: Yes. Well, that was the intention, really. Um, A lot of what I read now, I know know we no longer um, differentiate, particularly between sexes, but I, I get good feedback from boys who like the adventures and the knockabout and maybe the slightly sort of dark element that seems to creep into most of my books um it, it just seems to appeal to them which is wonderful um I've never as a reader I, I can't cope with love stories and stuff like that and I think it's certainly true that what you read comes out in what you write mm. uh, if I wrote a love story they would probably end up dead in the river and you know it just wouldn't be I just
1: can't
2: avoid the darkness I just can't do it um so yeah, did that answer the question? I don't know. I just Yeah,
0: got, yeah you know, no, okay. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think I think darkness does appear. Now um, I've yeah, plenty in mine. Um the corn great Cornish pasty war there was plenty of darkness oh. in there. <laughs> <it>? <laughs> <Great> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I'll I'll take that. Well, maybe when we finish the interview, I'll explain what what, what I was thinking um and where I got <laughs> to with it. And it's sort of been sitting on the back burner for a bit. Um but in terms of uh the tastes of modern um publishers I suppose yeah
1: well, that's, yeah. Different, isn't it? that's
0: different. a different thing because I think that there is a disconnect in my view between um and that there's a discomfort in publishing about the sort of books that you're sort of I suppose um building on so mm. in the sense that Roald Dahl was very comfortable with darkness their wonderful um engaging stories that have appealed for generations and yet now are facing um, critical extinction because of the things that underlie them in terms of his, you know, he's been conflated with his opinions about, you know, I don't know, Jewish people, women, whatever. And now he's kind of unfashionable again and being sort of pushed aside. Is there a danger that, you know, we're trying to remove those aspects of life from children's stories? Or or, or you, do you find Roald Dahl's stuff problematic?
2: Um, I, I just think they're great stories. And I think if you look for problems in any literature, you'll find it. If you go out to look for it, you'll find it. Um, I've forgotten what I was going to say. I had a really good example then, but it's gone i think it's regrettable that publishers seem to be increasingly scared of sticking their head above the parapet just a little bit um and and they i suppose they and then the parents are, are sort of the gatekeepers for for literature for kids and and young and not so much young adults and if you can't convince them um that your work is it has value, then, then you're kind of stuck. Uh, yeah. one reason I'm very grateful to Elaine at Zumtold is because she she takes on my darkness. Um I wrote a book for her called Icarus and Velvet, which yes. is um, uh, a sort of a fantasy very very loosely based on Romeo and Juliet you know these two opposing factions and one of them have built cities underground and one of them have gone up to the cliffs because the land's all poisoned and full of these sort of mutant creatures um and I forgot my point again <laughs> what was my
1: point
2: well
0: taking a risk oh, yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: and I sent her a draft of it and she said Kate make it darker yeah, <laughs> good for her. So I did, um, but yeah, and it's—it's. It's, what am I trying to say? Surely, books are a, a safe place to encounter darkness, to encounter problems, to encounter things that you wouldn't want in your life, and learn how to deal with them and learn to think about them. I, I think the trend towards Pushing them into a cupboard and pretending that they don't exist, or cherry picking, so that you only pick certain things that present a very sort of um, minuscule view of society. I don't think that's very helpful at all. It's
1: actually dangerous, I think, because you can't suppress things entirely. But if you make it, if you hide it and keep it away, or make it, or put this sort of danger um, force field around it, then it's still going to come out. In people
0: that you think, well, I mean, do, you know, still
2: need to explore it.
0: Well, these areas of human nature are there, yeah. and uh, you know, they, they exist. You can't just proselytize them, you know, from from a young age by dropping them. It's like people saying Roger Hargreaves, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. the, the the current trend to downgrade the Mister Men and and, and Little Miss series because they're archetypes and. You know, Mister Uppity or whatever it is, Mister Greedy, all mm. of those things. You know, I mean, there there is a move now to change it so that he has an eating disorder or something. You know, it's <laughs> uh,
2: well, yes, I think there's a place for that as well, but it doesn't mean there is no place for pe- for books about people who haven't got eating disorders or people who are uppity or people who are greedy. Um, I, I just can't see. It's kind of a, assuming that the audience doesn't have the intelligence or the integrity to sort of make their own choices, which, which it can't be good. Cannot be good. No. No. And it's actually insulting to the audience. Yeah. I mean,
1: mean, we always don't give them enough credit for their intelligence and their ability to reason. Yeah. Yeah, They do. Mr.
0: Bump is dyspraxic because he gets bumping into stuff um yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fiction in terms of mr bump and mr greedy and mr uppity and people in their lives they know the difference
2: of course they do. they're not going to go around thinking that i don't know people are sort of round blobs with long arms and are they no they intelligence and they yeah. no, that's true. That's true. Be entertained, they want, they want they want they
1: want escapism, they want to read the books and be in that world. But of now I'm thinking that you
0: know, the perfect model for Mr. Upperty is Jacob rees Mogg. <laughs> 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 he should voice that one. I think we should get him to do it on Jack and Ori. Be absolutely <laughs> hilarious. I wonder
2: if he would. No, I think we know the
0: answer to that. Let's talk about your um. Your yes, methodology. I mean, <laughs> having taken your degrees in, in in English literature, it's a different thing altogether than to to write your own stuff. Uh, can you take us back to when you first started writing? Mm. Just how it felt? Did it did it come naturally, or was it was was the the elements you battled with?
2: Um, I think I've never had a a, a problem with writing. I, th- I think my writing style has always been okay it's more certainly actually this hasn't changed but when I began it's having the the, the faith to keep going because okay you could write a great chapter or you think it's a great chapter but then you've got to write another 30 great chapters and to have this sort of faith in in yourself to keep going is the hard bit It's it's sort of throwing yourself into the dark um will someone want this am i wasting my time um but it's not a waste of time if even if it's not published you've created something um you've said something that was inside inside you that you wanted to say um yeah so writing i don't know what else was difficult I can't really think the level. Yeah, I think getting the trying to get the level of um of the humour and perhaps the the vocabulary to some extent right. Although as I said, I I, I don't I don't believe in dumbing down um what you write. I sound awesome. Yeah. A- <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: amen to that. I, I agree with you yeah. totally. it mean,
1: does sound like to a large degree it comes naturally to you and you just sort of have this as people say, the sort of urge to write in Icelandic, the, the phrase is "you have a book in your
2: stomach." Oh, really? like yes. Might... yes, I had a book in my stomach, definitely. No, <laughs> it's just whether they've got the the what courage, hope, time, commitment, all these things. Yeah, all the things together. And what,
0: what sort of environment do you like to write in? Do you have a, you know a sort of
1: Sit in a coffee shop with the world. Well, going I mean, around, I'm thinking or... of oh, no, you know I when you think, think of that. Roald
0: Dahl sitting in his <laughs> old armchair in his shed at the bottom of the garden with that writing he had a sort of plank that he used to place it across his knees mm. and then write on that in hand. I mean yeah. that's one way of doing it. But what's yours?
2: I couldn't do that. I couldn't do it long hand. I you know, can you imagine writing war and peace long hand? Mm. <laughs> Oh, well, they had computers then, didn't they?
0: (laughs) We need to to take that offline, love. Um...
2: (laughs) Yeah, sorry, I have to edit my um, um, unvarnished responses to things as well. Um, uh, What's my... I I like peace. Um, If there's music playing, I'll listen to it instead of writing. If there are people around, I'll listen to them instead of writing. If the TV's on... It's sort of anything that can distract me will distract me. Mm. So um, I, I write a lot, sort of f- semi recumbent on my bed with a laptop on my chest.
1: Uh, <laughs> I do that, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, what
2: works for you, isn't it? Yeah. But no, I can't do. If there's a distraction, I I will be distracted. So mm.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen to that too. Yeah, that's well, some...
2: you are a big you're a walking distraction.
0: Well. <laughs> I've got attention <laughs> deficit disorder. What do you expect? I mean, it's, yeah, i um, You know, anything. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah, uh, it's yeah. terrible.
2: There's a chair.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it is. It is. It, it's. It's when when it when it melts away, and it does occasionally. I was thinking about this last night, actually. Um, on the occasions where I turned in a piece of academic work when I was at school, of you know, uncharacteristic quality, shall we put it that way. And I and I was in this sort of tunnel like state where it just flowed. It's uh, called
1: hyper focus. Hyper
0: focus. Right. <laughs> it didn't happen often enough. And certainly didn't happen during exam season ever. <laughs> but um it was it was it, it's still a, a moment in my life where I was sitting in a deck chair under an apple tree at home and Is right-
2: Isaac. <laughs> Yes, and the apple. Uh,
0: no, uh, he'd already he'd already covered that one for us, um, and <laughs> um, and I just remember it was a beautiful day, summer's day, and I was writing a book review of Amadeus by Peter Schaffer. Mm-hmm. and it just was it just came together, and I got like twenty out of twenty for it or something it was unheard of for me, <laughs> and I still cling on to that moment. I, I can remember it so vividly that being in this tunnel of focus, and I, that's what I look for. Day in, day out. I never achieve it, but that's what I want.
1: But that's part of the ADHD. Is That's why girls are different to boys, because girls have the hyper-focus more than the boys do, apparently. Yeah, okay. So, and the hyper-focus is when you're actually much more productive and focused and people... Um, oh, yeah. You know, typical when... people. Right,
0: exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, th- yeah. That does happen, but not very often. <laughs>
2: it has happened to me when I'm writing, but again, not often. But when it does, it's wonderful and you just mm. keep writing and you go to bed thinking about what you've written and you wake up thinking about what you're going to write and it just, just flows. Mm. It's a wonderful feeling.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a really positive point at which to reach.
1: Oh, the, the random question. Yeah, I think so. So I'll give it the intro. <laughs> right.
0: Here we go. Rebecca's random question.
1: If you could marry a fictional baddie, who would you marry and why? Ooh. Oh. Oh, <laughs> it. a terrific,
2: terrific question.
1: So They've got to be a baddie. They've got to be, if you know,
0: I like. I know mine.
1: Evil. Oh, yeah. You yeah. would know. You've probably got a list
2: already. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. Want to know yours? Oh well,
0: should I go with mine while you think about yours? Go. Go Okay. Well, for those who remember Blake Seven, yeah, in the eighties, Servalan, Supreme Commander,
2: Servalan. Servalan. I mean, she
0: was hot to trot, wore the most ridiculous frocks on alien planets, and (laughs) with that short hair of hers, uh, and she was extreme, but but, uh, bad to the bone. I mean, she was truly duplicitous, evil murderous, did whatever it took, Um, but she was hot. And the actual actress was uh, Jacqueline Pierce. Mm. And I did see her once crossing the road. I've mentioned this before, um, in Hammersmith. I was sitting in the bank trying to get a loan in Barclays (laughs) in Hammersmith. And um, she crossed the road and then uh, Sylvester McCoy crossed the road and then Colin Baker crossed the road. So two doctors and one (laughs) Servalan. and... I thought, blimey, the universe is in real trouble if those three <laughs> yeah. are coming together.
2: <laughs> do to a table quickly before. Yeah.
0: Goes.
2: How amazing! I remember Serverland. She was very, very evil. Yeah.
0: Um, she, she was, was a good. fantastic role model. Yeah. I mean, she was the sort of space version of Thatcher.
2: Yeah,
1: she was. <laughs> yeah, she was very That's driven cool. and focused, and you know, ambitious and.
2: Yeah, and took no prisoners, and yeah, she was great i don't remember who else yeah all right won't talk about blake seven now the only one i can think of because i suppose you know people like mr darcy they're not bad are they so i can't have mr darcy the only one i can think of at the moment is dracula i'd I'd like to be countess dracula because i'm always gutted when he gets killed because he's by far and i'm actually teaching someone well um A-level student at the moment, Dracula. He's by far the best character in that book. Um, And he is, I don't know, what is it about Dracula? Well, he's, he's just the ultimate evil, I suppose, isn't he? And he's powerful and supernatural. I like a bit of supernatural um, I think I better go and lie. And he's got down. a bit of
0: style as well, hasn't he? I mean <laughs> Yeah. I mean
2: Yeah he's got his style. Christopher, Christopher Lee. Christopher. I um, love that. Yeah.
0: What about you, love?
1: Well I'm gonna go for Darth Vader because
0: <laughs> What, pre suit or post suit? <laughs> uh you know, because Darth Vader previously was was a rather petulant teenager. In, in a long robe.
1: Well, the reason is oh, yeah. He needs love. Nobody loves Darth Vader. He's had he's he's trouble, isn't he?
0: Yeah, obviously, no. I haven't watched the prequels where he had love, and that's why he turned bad.
1: Oh well, anyway, and he would help me sleep at night because of the white noise he creates.
0: <laughs> I think she's um, referring to the I fact that I wear a breathing it. mask because I have sleep apnea at night. <laughs> so you've got half of Darth Vader.
1: Yeah, and I remember the first time we slept in the same bed. You said I was going to warn you. I sound like Darth Vader at night, and and Ooh. I actually really like it. And when you're not there, I can't sleep because of the white noise you create. <laughs> so if if I'm not with you, it would be Darth Vader. But it, I
0: mean, you know, it, it, I do take it a little too far, and I'm sort of going, <laughs> and then going. You've fulfilled me for the last time, and things like that.
1: Yeah, I know. I can't sleep when you do that. No. <laughs>
0: Tear the ship apart. No one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, um, yeah I wish I had someone else I could think of other than Dracula. But off the top of my head, it's got to be Dracula. Yeah, that's
1: a good one. I mean, I, I wish I could think of someone else for Darth Vader. I need somebody good-looking and evil, but I can't. I can't think of anyone who's good-looking and evil at the moment. Really? For
2: some reason Captain Caveman came into my head, but he's not evil. I know. Talk of Captain. Do you remember Captain Scarlet? Yes. Captain Black.
0: Captain Black, yeah. Oh yes,
2: yes. there you go. Yes. That's a good one. Captain Scarlet with after a bad night had very dark rings around his eyes, didn't he?
0: Yeah, and a little bit of fuzz showing occasionally, didn't he? And, and Oh, yeah. well,
2: fuzz is good.
0: It's like, you know, Action Man used to yeah. have a little bit of fuzz, didn't he? He um,
1: did, yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, all men in the seventies
1: had fuzz. They had fuzz on their chest and fuzz on their face, and they were just fuzzy, weren't they? They were very fuzzy.
2: I'm swapping. I'm swapping to Captain Black.
0: Okay, right. Well, we're well, going
1: to but... the one. The other one I, w- I was thinking of. But he's not very really good looking. Is um, i forgot his name. James Bond, the one with the fluffy cat.
0: What Blofeld? Yeah,
1: because he had a fluffy cat.
0: But there were so many <laughs> different actors played Blofeld, so you've got a choice. Um, I'm trying to remember the Well, certainly the last. You Know we had uh, Donald Pleasance was Blofeld.
1: Yeah, uh,
0: him. you had uh, uh, Telly Savalas in her, On oh, Her you. Majesty's Secret Service.
2: The guy in The King and I,
0: no, oh, that's Yul Brenner.
2: You know, oh, wasn't do you know the one with um Christopher Christoph Waltz? Was he,
0: brilliant? yes, yes, he was Blofeld in, Is, in um, yeah. Skyfall and um,
2: yeah, yeah. A, a waste of a fantastic actor. I thought that was it funny. was
0: really, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I like him yeah you was so a you're
0: like an, a, an evil villain with with a pussycat
1: if if they if they're fond of their cat they the there's good in there somewhere
0: <laughs> fair <laughs> enough well i think that's a good place to leave it um <laughs> kate if if people want to find out more about you and your work where, where can they go
2: um do have a look at my website kate um, I don't know. Oh, Twitter. I can't remember my Twitter handle. So <laughs> we're not even called it's Twitter,
1: Twitter anymore. Yeah.
2: So that's no good. Um Instagram, I think I'm Kitty Wise999, which sounds quite weird. Um An emergency. Kitty yes. wise.
1: Kitty it's wise. A rescue. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, but yeah, look me up. Nice to be looked up. And I hope I haven't been too. Potty, potty is good.
0: Yeah, we we love. We,
2: to... we have
1: interviewed non-potty people, and it's hard work. <laughs> <laughs> was, right. Without naming any names, there was there was one particular interviewer who didn't quite get my sense of humour, and everything I said that I thought was quite funny fell quite flat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a 1000 yards stare involved in that. Yeah,
1: there.
0: so well, it's, it's been an absolute good. pleasure. We wish you every success with the new Mudlark series and and, and in the future and uh, everything. You've
1: given
2: me a new hobby, so thank you for that. Yes, you'll love it. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So you had, what, two choices of villain that you would like to shack up with?
1: (laughs) Well, first husband and second husband in the villain sphere.
0: Right, Okay. Yeah, well, I'm second husband in in the future. So, uh, yeah, you like the villains.
1: Who doesn't like a bad boy? Or a bad girl in your case,
0: yeah, very bad girl. That's right.
1: <laughs> I mean, you've got a thing for Katie Hopkins, so you could call her a real life. I, I don't.
0: I really don't. Honestly, I, she pulls me in many ways, but at the same time, <laughs> I'm, you know, it's the more I'm repelled, the more I'm drawn. So, you know, I I, I think what fascinates me about Herb is that she is so, frankly, you know, damaged psychologically to, to behave the way she does and things she says and that, you know, the, I'm, I'm, I'm faci- I am I'm sort of...
1: Oh, so you're going to rescue her, are you?
0: No, 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 no that's, that's impossible. Um, yeah, it's a bit like rubbernecking past an accident, isn't it, really?
1: I don't know what that means. What
0: rubbernecking is... is when you... If you're driving down the motorway and you see an accident, you know when traffic slows down as they go past the scene of two or oh, three right, cars yeah. that have crashed, you always, always turn to look at and, and that's happened. called
1: rubbernecking.
0: Rubbernecking, yeah. Rubber. Rubbernecking. I don't
1: understand where the phrase comes from, though. You're sort
0: of going like...
1: Well, you... why is that rubber?
0: Because uh, what I'm demonstrating, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> is me turning my head as far as it will go to the point where, you know, it would snap an owl's, oh, owl's it's neck.
1: made of rubber. Yes. Oh, okay. There you go. Thank yeah.
0: you. Right. So that's two phrases. Philip, or, f- f- you know, words. Philip. <laughs> <And laughs> rubbernecking. necking. Yes. Right, okay. All right, we'll add to your vocabulary as we go.
1: Yes, that's that's good.
0: Excellent. Um our guest next week our is
1: guest next week is um talking to us from Japan again. Wow, so okay. another another um expat in Japan, uh Stephen J. Gold, he's called, and he writes uh, Crime Noir Thrillers. He um used to be published by Red Dog Press. So he's got other work published elsewhere as well. So he's quite prolific. Um and he's interested in, uh, I think it's called transgressive thrillers. And and I, I um, oh, what was it? I can't remember now, but some phrase I've never heard of. So I want to find out what, what, he, you know.
0: So you're going to learn <laughs> another word next week then.
1: <laughs> I only learnt it half an hour ago and I've forgotten already. Oh, brilliant.
0: Well, that's that's good. Like
1: a sub, sub, sub genre. Mm, yeah. I love sub, sub, sub genres. Yeah. I don't know about you.
0: Oh, God. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> who doesn't love a sub, 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 sub genre? That sounds like some sort of... Um, I don't know.
1: Sounds like a sandwich to me.
0: Well, uh, to me, it sounds like a sort of um, a bedroom predilection. Um.
1: (laughs) Uh, No.
0: No. Okay. Uh, Well, this week coming, it's a big one for my family because my father is going into hospital for long awaited, uh, the start of a long period in hospital, actually, with with surgery uh, at the back end of it, Uh, very, very major surgery, shall we put it that way. Um, but they 're taking me in to sort of try and correct a couple of other things that are wrong with him first, and then um
1: oh i didn 't know that <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, so that 's that 's due tomorrow, um so hooks really, not tomorrow, rather Monday, um as this podcast goes out, I should say, yeah, and um i i i every day this week um i 've been waiting with bated breath for a call from my youngest who 's at university. the course finally kicks off on Monday. Which is a good thing because I think, um, you know, one of those things about Freshers Week or indeed Freshers Fortnight, as you turned it into, is that it's hard to put a shape on your new life at university without coursework or lectures or, yeah. something. you know, it, it that is quite hard to to deal with. I mean, you can get used to wasting time at home during a summer or r- working a job and then kicking back and relaxing and going and playing golf or whatever, because you're, everything's familiar. But when it's not familiar, it's much harder to, to find a structure and find a place and feel settled. And that's sort True. of, he's, he's gone through that a he little has.
1: bit. whereas my eldest is uh, in his second year at Leeds and uh, he's reported back there's no toaster in his flat. It's a lovely flat, though, but there's no toaster. And the TV is green.
0: Oh, Marvellous. Like a like an old computer monitor.
1: Yeah, it's that, it's got that issue. You, yeah, remember in the seventies when, because um, it uses the three colours, doesn't it? And if yeah. one of the colour bands is not working. Oh,
0: in, in, on TV terms, but in, in terms of, you remember that computer monitors tended to have green.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. What you mean, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Unless they were really
0: expensive multicolour ones, which were so expensive and still rubbish. Anyway, um, the other thing I wanted to mention, it is a Hoback related thing, is that if you. So Wish, the new audiobook of Chasing the Dragon, is out. And we only say that once it reaches Audible, because that is still the biggest audio platform, and it is there now.
1: Yeah, so we've got another audiobook in the pipeline that we actually put out on the various platforms before this one, but it's not there yet. So, yeah, Chasing a Dragon, as you say. We'll have to chase that up, uh, which
0: is rendered. Rendered uh, and capable by by A.B. Morgan. Morgan. So
1: that should be up there, but it isn't. But Mark
0: Whiteman's Chasing the Dragon is there and uh, performed by yours truly. Uh, I'm very proud of that one. And uh, I have audio work uh, to to consider uh, and working on now.
1: Yeah, and reading and um, lots of little jobs I've given you too.
0: You have, you have. <laughs> right,
1: I'm a taskmaster.
0: You are, but then you're working ridiculous hours as usual, so <laughs> that's only fair. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us and it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, The Hopcast Book Show, weekly, Mondays, it drops every week. Uh, from the platform that you listen to it, just subscribe and that would be f- fabulous. Also, take a look at our website, www.hobeck.net or archpub.net if you want to uh, consider our publishing services bit and adrianhobartnarration.com if you fancy hearing more of this voice, if you can stand that. uh, On your work, that would be fabulous. So thanks for joining us and uh, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. My name's been Adrian Hobart.
1: My name's Rebecca Collins.
0: And together we wish you a wonderful and
1: creative
0: week bye bye you've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobec Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins you can find the show notes at our website www.hobeck.net. you can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobec online store just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit.